Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 23 of the In Squash podcast. And today, I think I'm pretty safe in saying that I've got one of uh, everyone's most favorite uh, players uh, from back during the Nickel, Power, Palmer, White, uh, Linku generation. Uh, John White is on the podcast today, and uh, we had a great chat. Uh, we talked about his current uh, coaching duties at Drexel uh, University in Philadelphia, where he coaches the Drexel Dragons men's and women's uh, varsity teams. Uh, we also took a look back at his days at Franklin Marshall, where he coached the diplomats uh, there for four years successfully before his move to Philadelphia. Then, uh, of course, uh, we couldn't... Uh, have a conversation with Johnny White without looking back at his illustrious career where he reached world number one. But there were a few years uh, before that when he first uh, hit the tour in 1991, I believe, uh, where things weren't going uh, quite as well as uh, planned, and we get into uh, uh, talking about that. And you'll be surprised to hear that he actually quit squash for for a little bit of time uh, there uh, before he found his way again. And uh, uh, and then looking at those years where he uh, got to number one and uh, was beating the likes of the best in the world uh, back in the day, Nickel, Power, Palmer, he was the he was the man at the top of the perch. John White came onto the podcast, and I couldn't have been happier. Like a kid in a candy store on episode twenty three, Johnny White. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, the In Squash podcast today. Uh, is episode uh, 22 and we're uh, I know I'm very delighted to have uh, one of my favorite players uh, over the years uh, back in the uh, mid to mid 90s late 90s and the early uh, uh, 2000s uh, one of my favorite players former world number one 2002 world open final appeared in over 30 PSA finals British national champion in 2004 formerly the uh, the head coach at Franklin and uh, Marshall College, the diplomats, and now the uh, the head coach of the Dragons at Drexel in Philadelphia. John White is on the program. John, thanks. For How coming. are you, mate? Oh, great. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Um, how's everything going in Philadelphia these days? Uh, Philly's great. It's uh, it's one of the biggest squash hubs in in America. Uh, a lot of juniors, uh, a lot of clubs with uh, a couple of hundred junior development programs going on and, you know, the college scene and everything else that goes with it, a lot of junior tournaments to go and watch for uh, recruiting. But, uh, you know, to be involved in, in one of the uh, you know, biggest squash hubs in America and it's uh, and doing something that I love and giving back to the sport, it's, uh, it's quite amazing. I'm enjoying every, every day of it. That's great. Yeah, it's a great city. I've never been uh, to Philadelphia, but uh, being from North America, we, I, I know everything about the, the sports uh, uh, scene in that town. So uh, uh, that also must be just uh, very exciting for you to, uh, to be a part of uh, Philadelphia sports lore, as it is. Yeah, yeah it is. It's, it's, it's wonderful. The, the development through squash with all the clubs with either renovating their facilities, updating uh, their squash courts, the doubles courts, and you know, I think in the in the next few years, there's about uh, about thirty to forty, uh, maybe even more uh, squash courts getting built just in the just in the Philadelphia area. Which uh, to see the growth of the sport in, in this area and be involved in it, it's uh, you know, it's wonderful to see the sport grow that much and everyone get behind it and fundraise for everything and and grow grow the sport that everyone can play from a young kid to whenever they wish to retire. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, or, or whenever the body breaks down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, um, you, 2017-2018, uh, uh, the season ended or just wrapped up uh, recently. And now, now that the, the, uh, the dust has settled a bit, um, in your mind, how did the season go for, for your men's and women's teams there? Yeah, it was overall, it went well. Um, you know, the women's women's program had uh, their best uh, season to date where, you know, they, they won the uh, their division beating Dartmouth College in the final, which uh, let, uh, made a uh, finish number nine in the, in the country, which the last two years we've actually lost to Dartmouth uh, in our divisional final, five, uh, four or five. So for the girls to, you know, overcome those losses and beat the, the the same team that they've lost to in the final to 
to raise the cup and 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 finish number ninth uh, in the country is is unbelievable. Considering you know we've only this is our seventh season, just finished our seventh season, and you know the guys team, you know we fell down from uh, we finished sixth uh, two seasons ago, but then this season we had a few hiccups with uh, uh, certain players not uh, returning. Uh, back to the program uh, that's that saw us drop out of the top eight, uh, which hurt. But then, uh, you know, they finished strong as as, as 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 well or finished as well as they could and finished thirteenth. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, overall, when you look back at it and the ups and downs, you can always grow on it and and uh, look to improve. You know what went wrong and what needs to be brought back in the program and and everything else that goes with it. But uh, you know, overall, from where we've come from. Uh, you know, from having zero players seven years ago to, you know, having a, a divisional champion for the women's and, you know, two top 16 teams and one one for a top 10 for the girls. It's uh, as, a, as a coach and uh, for what, what I've done for the program, it's it's a wonderful feeling. And, you know, each season gets bigger and better and all, always exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I was going to ask you uh, a little later on uh, something connected with that, but uh, you, you just, you're sort of relatively still young as a, as a coach, so you're, there's still a bit of a learning curve there for you, isn't there, uh, in terms of how to make these adjustments after a, maybe a season that didn't quite go the way it did uh, for you, eh? Yeah, it is. It's, you know, being, you know, it's, it is, you know, I've gone on, uh, this is about my 10th, 11th season, but, uh, you know, yeah, I am quite young with with the coaches that, that have been around for a while, and you, you sort of every you know every season for me is is a learning curve of of uh, you know dealing with you know the academic side of everything and and some of the recruits that come on internationally and and domestic and what they want to get out of the program and you know it's 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 not all about just the on court coaching it's it's about sort of uh, Leading these young kids uh, for four years, uh, going out into the real world. So each 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 recruiting year, each recruiting season that you, that you have these new incoming freshmen. You know they all they all bring some great positives to the program because you want them as squash players. But also, you know you've got to realize, and I am realizing that is that they're not just here purely for for the squash side of it. Um, you know they have four years to get their career under control what they really want to do whether it's engineering business law uh medical it's it's you know to see that and see them grow it's uh, that's that's a huge part of 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 coaching itself so when you when you get that all together and realize that uh you know some kids have got a heavy class load and you know you just never know what sort of background they've got until they really get here so you know every season you know, is is a learning curve for me as a coach, and I, I have to be able to go back to the drawing board after each season and think, oh, okay, I have to change this, or you know, these kids don't work together, or you know, I've got to do a little bit more team bonding. I've got to do a lot more off court. You know, I've got to do, you know, travel a little bit more for recruiting, bring more recruits on a campus. So you know, that in itself is a challenge for me as a coach to, you know, better my. Uh, my overall coaching philosophy and everything, then it's it, it keeps us it keeps us going. That's for sure. It keeps us on on our toes. Which you know, as a coach, that's something that I really really love. So, you know, I don't want to be, you know, too boring as a coach. And you know, if you, if you can't really sort of grow yourself each each season, then I, I, I don't think I'd be doing the work or the the job that I need to be doing for this program, but also for these kids that are coming into Drexel and. Then, uh, then you know, leaving in the in the business world because really, when they graduate, they're they're in, they're they're ingrained in Drexel for the rest of their lives as, as alumni. Well, I guess so, I mean I know if uh, if I was young again and I had the opportunity uh, the opportunities that exist now uh, at the collegiate squash level, and I saw that you uh, or uh, David or Martin were were coaching uh, at a school, I mean I, I'd be uh, doing my best just to try to get there to play for you <laughs> have you got any eligibility left we can always work through it quite a story a 50 year old I can, uh, freshman. <laughs> I can go back to i can go back to compliance and uh see what we need to do <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, now you're 11 years as a coach so i mean you're starting to uh to gain uh, some valuable experience but your first uh head coaching gig at the uh 
collegiate level was, as we mentioned earlier, with the uh, the diplomats of uh, Franklin Marshall. When you first took on that that gig, uh, what were you expecting? And uh, I guess, where did you, in the end, after your first and second year, did you feel you were prepared for that role? Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty much jumping straight in the deep end. You know, when I finished my my career, it's like uh, you know I got a phone call about you know what my plans were and. You know, I was I was working at uh, Berwyn Squash and Fitness just in the road from where I live as as a as a club pro and a, and a touring pro. And then when this uh, gig came up, I thought it would be, you know, one of my one of my dreams was to either have my own squash club, and that's that's how I was brought up back in Australia, and then uh, or start my pro, uh, a program somewhere. And you know, I went out for a few uh, interviews at at, uh, at F and M and had a look at the facility and watched a few of their training sessions and thought, you know, I, I would love to be able to do this and, you know, teach these kids and, you know, run it like a everyday, you know, training season and, and then or session. Then, you know, obviously then I had a look at the overall uh, schedule of, of, you know, the, you know, the, how the season goes through NCAA and then there's, you have the summers off. So, you know, having a young family, it was, you know, I was able to still do some summer camps, but, spend as much time as I can with it with the young family having four kids and then yeah the, the first year was it was an eye-opener of uh, uh, actually traveling um, with all these 18 or 17 through 21 year olds and what they try and get over you and what they try and say and what they actually do and then all of a sudden it's like then you know, I found myself in the deep end, you know, treading water of, of thinking, damn, you know, I'm now responsible for everything and anything that happens to the program because, you know, essentially it's it's my program. So, you know, then there's the fraternities and sororities and the after hours. So then that was a, it was a real wake up call. So, you know, I did change a lot from, you know, trying to do a lot of just squash, you know, the two hours for the men's and women's, but then all this individual stuff and, you know, but then I realized that, okay, I've got to have more meetings and, and talks with these kids that, listen, you know, this, this could affect the program. If it happens, you know, I then had to start removing a few people from the team or letting people know that, um, you know, what, you know, what they do affects the program and, and it could end for them. You know, and they, their their squash days in college could be over if if it if it hurts a program, and then yeah, you, you know, hear about as, these uh, you hear about these hard nosed uh, old school coaches with their rules, and uh, and you wonder, geez, why why do they uh, have these? Why are they so uh, bent on uh, you know, laying out these rules? But then you know, you you speak uh, to experience as to why they do, don't you? Yeah, well, when I was there, you know, I'd speak to the football coach and. I got to know the lacrosse coach very well and just sort of, you know, always asking, asking them what they did with the schedule or, what, or how they, you know, what they did recruiting-wise, if they brought them on campus, you know, how it all worked. Um, and I actually got a few phone calls from uh, Martin Heath, who was a very good help. You know, he reached out to me when I first took the position because he okay. had just started at, at Rochester. So, you know, he was saying, you know, this is what you've got to do, do and be careful of what they say and... You know, you're a new coach. I'll try and tell you that this is the rules, but you've got to treat it as your own rules and regulations. And, you know, when I spoke to the football coach in the first couple of weeks, you know, I was like, holy crap, like, you just get rid of people when if you don't like them. And he was like, well, you do that. It sort of shows your authority to the other kids that come in as recruits or and they, they realize that you know, the coach isn't there. And, you know, I think my first couple of years, I was a little bit too lenient, but, now I actually understand what they were talking about because it's, it's it's actually what you've got to do, and that's probably one of the worst parts of the coaching is, you know, you can give these kids as many, you know, as as much leeway as possible, but then you can only tell them so many times that, you know, your position is in jeopardy or your actual position in the program is in jeopardy, and you know, I've I actually have had to. You know, let people go, which is the hardest part of calling in the office and saying, "Listen, you know, this is what we've talked about before. You're not changing. Do you really like the program? You know, you know what you want to really get out of squash, and you know that's that's the hardest part about it. But you know, as the years go on, and I think my years at F and M was was a huge wake up call of, you know, just just what you really need to do and the rules you've got to set and 
but you've also got to have a fine line of not being too overbearing and you know they are kids here for their education and you know yeah they are they are going to be uh 18 year olds and 20 year olds whether you like it or not (laughs) (laughs) so you know i've been there we've all been there and you know you try and pull the wool over the parents eyes and the coach's eyes and when it comes back to bite you it it does but it's a fine fine line isn't it i guess uh you know you've got to lay out the rules but then you don't want to be so uh so overbearing that no one's uh having fun out there no and you know that's you know that's happened a few times as well where well not 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 a few times once it's you know you, you you have all these stipulations and then all of a sudden they start to rebel because it's almost like you're telling them they can't have fun at college you know it's <laughs> then then they then they try and do stuff behind your back but if you, you know you don't want to give them too much leniency either because you don't want them to go overboard but it's just a fine line of letting them know that okay you know these are the rules this is the season this is your off season go and hang out with your friends then and there and then you know if you do well on the season you're going to feel better for it that's that's you know it is a fine line and once you find find a very good balance then you stick with it but even when you do find that balance you think everything's going okay and then something else happens so you've got to readjust <laughs> your rules and regulations and just cuz you just you never know you know how kids react in a big city you know lancaster or a very small country country uh environment you know there's not that much to do out there yeah you know but uh you know then the other side of the coin is you come to philadelphia and you're in mm-hmm. one of the, a thriving city all, and you yeah. got you got Penn across the road and you got uh, Temple and St. Joe's down the road and everyone knows each other and you've got a big city and you've got uh, endless amount of after activities of the Lots kids of distractions. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you, uh, it. Now, John, you were four years with the diplomats and then you accepted uh, the offer from, from Drexel. So just going to ask you, how did you feel you, uh, you left the program uh, at uh, uh, Franklin and Marshall? Um, I think I left it in, in, a, very, uh, in a very positive, uh, positive manner. And I think they got, you know, I think they were moving forward where they wanted to go. And it was, it was one of the hardest decisions uh, uh, in my career, that, uh, coaching career that I, that I had to make where, you know, I went in there with the diplomats where they, you know, they were runner up uh, and they were one of the top four teams in collegiate uh, squash back in the 85, 86 era. And, um, you know, some of the top alumni who actually played on that team, you know, they, they're the ones who sort of got me to come to the program saying we wanted to get the team back in the top eight and the women's back in the top 16. And, you know, in three years, the, the the men's team were back in the top eight. Uh, the women's team were sitting at uh, 12, 13, I think it was. So, awesome. yeah. you know, to, to see the program. And then, you know, then I started to get really involved in it. You know, I was very involved in when I first got there in my first year. But, you know, coaching yeah. at a club or doing summer camps is completely different from totally different, yeah. running your own program. And then, I, you know, I saw the joys that the kids got. They... They started to really love the program. The alumni came back, and there was a lot of support there, and everything else. There's that came nothing with quite it. like U.S. Uh, collegiate uh, sport, is it? I mean, no, it's it's in all sorts of sports. Then I start, you know, that's when I started to talk to the other coaches about, you know, what they did, what their rules were, and you know how they dealt with certain situations. And I'm still doing the same thing here at Drexel. You know, I, you know, I still talk to a lot of the coaches about, you know, certain things that come up that I've never had to deal with. You know, so you, you do ask them and then it's sort of, you know, you know, they let you know what they do, but, you know, all sports are different. But, yeah, then when the, the Drexel position came up, um, you know, they never had a program. They had a club team first. They only had two normal uh, international squash courts. The other six were the uh, old North American courts, which were very, very run down. Hard- Johnny, you would, you would have been a legend on the hardball court. I played uh, one singles tournament and won that here at Marion uh, a few years ago, and then and I, I, I do still. Any, I, I played. Seen the ball? I didn't see the ball a few times either. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I play a lot of doubles here, which is which is great fun. Um, okay. uh, but you know, when when the position came up with Drexel, it's uh, 
you know, I came for an interview, I saw their facilities, I saw they didn't have a program and it was starting from the very beginning and, you know, I went home and talked to the family and called my parents back in Australia and, you know, talked to others and then it sort of dawned on me that this could be the step that I really wanted in my career where it's starting a program from the very, very beginning, no, no players, you know, we were, uh, Drexel Athletics were fundraising for a new five court facility. Um, you know, I had to go and look for an assistant coach. Um, I guess having, I having you in there as a coach, that would have uh, raised the profile and helped, perhaps helped fundraising as well. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, then when I accepted the position, I then went and talked to uh, the main uh, donors who gave us uh, the money to build the five courts. And then within six months, uh, around, I think it was January the 23rd, 24th, we, in my first season, we actually opened open the, the new five-court facility that we have here. And my first season with my assistant was we had, uh, you know, we had to go and recruit. So I'd see players or I'd see, you know, st- you know students actually just playing squash. And uh, I'd walk down and tap on the door and say, what do you think about being a varsity athlete? <laughs> 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 I, I, I had three or four on each team who'd never played squash before. Oh right! On. That's that. That's that's how you we just started. Saw, the you saw some uh, some athletic uh, promise there, and then you. Yeah, I thought in my first year if they could hit a ball and and they looked athletic, I was like, okay, you're on the team. You know, some of the club <laughs> members, yeah. some of the club members became varsity athletes, and you know, well, we started it. Started right. I bet. I bet you in your conversations with some football coaches. I mean, they they see a big guy who who could play the line. He's never played football before. Just put him in there and. And show them a few things. Show them a few tricks and say, this is what you've got to do. You've got to, this is the guy you're protecting or this is the guy you're going to knock down or this is the three-pointer I want you to take and away you go. You can, you can work with it. And then my first season with, with uh, uh, my assistant, who was Sean Wilkinson, he's, he's now gone across to be the head coach at Princeton, which was, which was oh, a wow. great, uh, great move for him. You know, we had five to six hours of individual lessons each day of players who just did not know the rules, did not know what the lines were for, didn't know anything. And then that's, that's how we started the program. And the first year was, you know, it was enjoyable, but tiring at the same time, because it was something that, uh, you know, I was actually officially starting one of my dreams of, of actually starting a program from the very beginning. And, and we did that with zero courts and (laughs) no players and, No alumni. Uh, just, I think it's interesting with a, with a, someone like that, someone who basically, you know, maybe just played with their friends uh, once or twice a week. How do you take them from that to someone who's competing at a, at a high level? Yeah the, the, yeah, the first year was quite funny where, you know, we, we played, we, we played, I think we even played Trinity. And I said to some of these players, just, go and have fun when you're playing, you know, just realize the certain shots they're playing, what you've been learning in, in, uh, in practice and, you know, what, what the squash can do for you and, you know, just go and have fun and just, you know, the the things we're trying to work on and in practice with, you know, some of them, I said, listen, just every time you get a serve, just make sure you put the serve in play and start the rally off. That's where some of the guys and girls were. It's, you know, some of them were, you know, some of them didn't win a game. I had my number one who actually came from badminton. She did not have a bat. She did not have a backhand. Obviously, back at the badminton, they always run around for their forehand. That's what she she hit her first. She was hitting lobs all the time with her back. All the time, and then her <laughs> her her forehand volley was unbelievable. But no she she didn't want to receive the serve on her backhand. She would she would turn her back to the side wall and want to do it on the forehand. So. You know, we we were teaching them the very basics of the return of serve, and the first year was every time we had a team match was okay. This is this is going to be a challenge, but this is what you can get out of it. And we started doing a lot of video analysis and showing them what they can do, and and you know they you know the travels and everything else that came with it, and you know they had their own. They started to have their own locker room. They had their own equipment. They you know the club teams over here they have to fund everything themselves. They have to drive themselves and organize their own team and all of a sudden those players that had come from the club team and or players that had never played squash before they had 
all the support from the program and you know and some of the kids some of the the club teams they stayed on all the time a few left um and then others you know they were committed purely as what they could get out of being varsity athletes and you know today there's a few of them who are our top alumni and have always reached out to the program and let me know where they're going and it's it's unbelievable just you know to see that now from where they came from and the support they're giving back to the program and you know we uh we traveled across to san francisco um to play stanford uh this oh, yeah. year and i had some of the alumni come for a dinner and actually host us at a dinner uh will Heyman's, uh family they hosted us for dinner and he was one of the club players who it was fun and he he was so thankful of what he got out of the varsity program he's still you know he's still a very good supporter and, and become close friends with him and his family they hosted uh 20 26 athletes the guys in the women's team at their at their house in san francisco for oh, dinner that's great yeah so yeah and he was one of the club players and one of the funniest guys i've ever got on court with <laughs> of not knowing anything about squash and it was like the, the dog chasing the bone that was about it but <laughs> yeah. but uh to see that and see what he got out of the program it's you know that it, coaching at that level as well is you know it's it's, well, it's an awesome feeling and you know you get friends for life and life and uh supporters of the program you know yeah forever. absolutely now that uh now that i get drexel has a has a name for itself and you've been there for uh like a seven years now uh obviously recruiting might be uh a bit uh a bit less uh problematic uh, i had mike way on a while back on on the podcast and he was talking we talked about recruiting and he mentioned to me that the thing that he looks out the most for is a uh, burnout interestingly i don't know if uh what what do you look for in terms of um you know, when you when you go out recruiting he he mentioned squash burnout is something that uh he kind of keeps an eye on <coughs> yeah sorry about that i do the same it's like you know when i look for recruits you know I try and bring them onto campus for the 48 hour period and, you know, they get to hit with the players. They don't come to practice, uh, to our varsity practice. They're not allowed to, but they, you know, they, they go and see the, the dorms and they stay just to see, you know, the biggest thing I look for is yes. Burnout is, you know, there is a lot of squash here in North America, but the amount of tournaments and the amount of matches that, kids at a young age play on a ever like on a weekend is they can play five matches in one weekend starting on a friday night and finishing yeah, yeah. sunday morning so and you do you you get kids who later on at the under 17s under 19s you can just see them at certain tournaments that once they've lost a match they they just don't want to get back on the squash court and and as soon as you see that it's almost like you know are they really wanting to be this competitive when they get to college are they using their ranking or are they using their ability to get into a college and then just for their education which yeah you know some some kids do that and you know yeah i've had a couple of kids who have come in and that's a learning curve of yeah they're they're very keen on squash but as soon as they get here they've they've lost that competitive edge because they've they've done it every single day since they were under 11 some kids uh, early, you know, they go yeah. to their country clubs and they get a lesson every single day when they play for their school. Sort of for, and they, forced into it by their parents in a, in a way. A little bit, yeah. And then, then you know, it's, there's some kids that I've had on the, on, the, on the program that have only been playing for, you know, four or five years, but they come to college and they are so keen that their level goes up. And you get some kids who, you know, I think they're going to play at number eight or nine and all of a sudden they're playing at four or five because they just have that drive and, you know, they, they get their wins because of the determination. They're, they're still so keen to learn, to, they're very coachable. And they, then they come into a team environment and they want to do what they can for the program. You know, so I look at, I look, you know, I, look, I do look at the burnout a little bit um, just to see just, you know, just their mannerism on and off the court about, you know, are they really here for the squash are they here for themselves are they here for their parents are they here for their education what yeah. are they really trying to get out of the program it's an all-over package of you know if if you know when i bring them onto the campus you know i do ask them you know where do you see yourself in four years what do you 
think you can give to the program? You know, do you see yourself playing squash after college? You know, there's a lot of, a lot of it goes into it because it's, it's not just bringing somebody on the team that can be a great number one for you or just because they're the best in the world or the best in the States or the best in the region. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, an all over package. Do, do they like Philadelphia? Do they like a big school? You know, do they want to just come and party? <laughs> There's a lot that goes, there is a lot to go into it, but I think, you know, my kid on the head is, is burnout. You do look at that. And then just the attitudes of kids on the squash court that I look at of, of how they, you know, how they act when they lose, how they act when they win, you know, what do they do off court, you know, how do they, you know, how do they act around tournaments? Cause that's exactly how they act when we go away to tournaments. Cause you know, sometimes we travel, it's play a match on a Friday, play a match on Saturday, play a match on Sunday. It's like, you know, if they lose, do they still put in the next day? You yeah, know, yeah. do they, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, I think that's the, that's the key of, you know, having a good coaching staff of being able to go and recruit and look at those same areas that, you know, you, we, is going to be good for a good fit for the program. You know, somebody who's a, a good fit for Harvard or Yale or the Ivies, you know, they, they may not be a good fit here. They may not be a good fit anywhere else, or they could be a good fit here, or you just, you just never know. So the recruiting side of it of traveling and bringing them on a campus and interviewing them and, you know, calling them or emailing them just to keep tabs on them and just to see how they're going and yeah. you know, what they can really bring to the program. You know, that's the real test of coaching. Not, not on court, that's for sure. Well, one of your, uh, your recruits from a, a few years back, a sophomore, Lucas uh, Rousselet, am I pronouncing that correct? <laughs> yeah, Rousselet. yeah. Rousselet. Lucas uh, Rousselet. Yeah. <laughs> he had yeah. an outstanding year uh, this year. He uh, made it to the second uh, team All-American, I believe. And, yes, he did. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, how how is uh? Tell us a little bit about Lucas and uh, how his game has progressed since uh, since his freshman year. Well, he's a he's a typical young kid. <laughs> he's he's very playful. He's a he's a joker. He you know he likes he's a, he's he's still got the junior squash in him where he wants to be able to be all Larry and flary on the squash court and and uh, put the ball away and do the trick shots. But, you know, he, I think he learned a valuable lesson when he plays those top guys that they will, you know, when you play in the soft, uh, the, uh, the juniors and seniors, you know, they've got a couple of years of experience. Um, and, you know, he, he had a few losses where he could have, you know, he could have had the win. Um, you know, emotionally, he's very emotional on court. He gets... You know, it doesn't uh, in a tantrum, tantrum, but you can see him emotionally break down a little bit. But, you know, his level of squash, I don't think we've seen the best of it yet. Uh, last year was awesome um, for him to finish as an All-American. And, you know, he did say at the start of the season that he wanted to be an All-American. And then, uh, you know, he had a few losses, uh, which, uh, you know, dropped his ranking down a little bit. And we, we I called him into the office and sat him down and said, listen, these, these were your goals. I said, this is, you know, he's, he's six, four, his reach is unbelievable. He's six got unbelievable. Yeah. He's got he's unbelievable movement. Uh, yeah. 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 He's yeah. got unbelievable movement, racket skills. Uh, he can actually cover the court in three, three leaps <laughs> when he, <laughs> when he wants to. So, okay. and then when you do put the pressure on him, he, he will give you 110%, but he's, uh, at the moment he's, uh, He's not too lazy, but that still does creep in with with uh, with the squash as it does with everybody. But I think he could be uh, a real contender, definitely for the first team All American. Well, top, now that he's got 10, an sure. All American uh, under his belt, he's probably uh, going to mature a little bit. You'd think, and then his junior and senior year uh, could be very good. Definitely, yeah. We he he was in the office just a couple of weeks ago, and you know we had a look at a few of the. Uh, the teams and the, the individual matches that he played last year, uh, the losses he had, uh, the players that he'll be coming up against this year that are coming in as freshmen and the players that he did play against uh, last year that he will be playing in this year. And, you know, he, he's, he's got it because he, he did say that he wanted to be first team All-American. I said, I would love you to, to do that. That's a, that is a great goal, but this is, this is what you've got to do. And this is the things you've got to take serious and, yeah, he's, he's sort of matured a lot with that. Um, you know, when he, when he won his division, 
at the individuals to to make the second team all american just the smile on his face yeah. when he come off he shook my hand and gave me a bit of a hug and said uh i told you i'd make it and i want to be first team all american how did that you know? feel john uh, i was awesome you know just to to have a you know especially with the season that we were we had gone through and you know dropping out of the top 8 um you know we had two all americans last year or two years ago and then uh for lucas is for what he where his where his level can be um he's great to have around he's great to have on the program uh he's always come to the office joking around uh to to see a kid like that uh, become all american is you know it's it's just such a good feeling as a coach and uh, and to have him for another two years, um, is, it's just it's it is a, an unbelievable feeling that uh, you know what what he can actually do. This is just uh, I guess the tip of the iceberg of what what he's actually capable of doing. It's just a matter of me as a coach giving him the the guidance and the uh, the uh, I guess the uh, methods to to go and do it. Yeah. Now, uh, we've been on uh, talking a lot about the, uh, the collegiate side. I just have one more question before we, uh, before we get into your career a little bit. Uh, what has it been like to knock heads with, uh, with some of the longtime uh, collegiate generals uh, at some of the other programs? And then, of course, uh, to play chess against uh, your former adversaries like, uh, like David Palmer and uh, Martin Heath. Uh, it's, it's, it's awesome actually. Cause it's, you know, when you, when you play, when you've played against them and then you see what sort of, you, you know, what recruits are going there. And then when you play the team matches against them, um, it's, you, you, you give each other grief. I remember one of the, uh, <laughs> in, introductions, uh, uh, Martin Heath gave us when I was at F and M when we traveled up to, uh, Rochester and, um, and then uh, he's introducing the teams as we do, and you know, saying how how wonderful it is to have uh, Johnny White here, and you know how he used to do battle on the squash court, and I think he got the best of me, but uh, my team's going to get the best of him today, and all this and that. So you know, yeah. when you when you have that, and you and you and you got that, it's 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 nothing on on the squash court anymore. It's about off the court, and then you know knowing what recruits they're getting, knowing what recruits I'm getting. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm looking forward to playing you next season because I'm going to, I'm going to kick your ass. My, my team's <laughs> going to kick your ass, you know, yeah. and then we're, you know, then you're fighting for uh, the ranking and uh, either a top eight or a top 10 or possibly a top four. And, you know, to have Palmer here as well. Yeah. Now it's, uh, you know, it's, it's another one. And then uh, also with Mike Way, it's like, yeah. you know, obviously he's, he's got the powerhouse and yeah. it'd be awesome to beat him because, you know, he was a coach of Jonathan Power who gave me grief for 15 <laughs> years. He yeah, still is yeah. on the Legends Tour, but, you know, to do battle with them, but also the coaches that have been on the collegiate you, level. Do you like, notice at all, like uh, any, with, with Martin or David, uh, any sort of uh, tendencies in their own players that uh, mimic their their own personal uh, games at all? Yeah, definitely. I noticed yeah. a lot of, of just the way uh, they used to play, um, their mental game, their strategies on the squash court. Yes, it does rub off. It doesn't rub off with every player on there, but you can you can do you do see a trait of okay, that's exactly how he played. He used to boast up from there, or this is what he used to do, or this is you know this team's volleying a lot more, yeah, because now Dave Palmer's there. So, yeah. you know, so then, but then, you know, you, you know how you sort of have a certain idea of how their player's going to play because that's the way they're, te they're coaching. Um, but it's a matter of, at the end of the day, getting five wins before they do. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, John, uh, I mean, uh, I got to know you over the years as one of what you know, one of my favorite players, a great shot maker. Uh, you covered the court so well for a guy, you know, over six feet, uh, world number one, British national champion. Let's look back uh, just a little bit, uh, if you don't mind. You turned pro in 1991, and uh, it wasn't really until 98 that you, you reached the, the highest uh, levels into the top 20. What were those early uh, years like for you uh, between 91 and 98? Um, they were tough. Uh, a few rocky roads. Um, you know, learning, you know, coming from 
you know, they the Australian Fitness Board in Brisbane. Um, you know, they helped out a lot of the training schedules, what what needed to be done from a professional athlete, uh, all the travels, the tournaments, the different levels of tournaments to try and get into. And I guess just, you know, the first three or four years were quite hard because it's, um, you know, it wasn't... Uh, you know, it wasn't easy pickings as, as, as everyone everyone knows the first couple of years unless you get to the top straight away there's not a, a great deal of money there then you know you're traveling the world and you're living in hotel rooms or you're sleeping at airports or you're sleeping on French floors I think it was just a wake-up call of uh, you know how you know what you really wanted to get out of it and you know I had a lot of players who traveled with me out of Australia and got to know a lot of friends and all other countries that, that would play the circuit for a couple of years and then they would quit and go into coaching jobs. But, you know, I really enjoyed the travel side of it. I really enjoyed going to different countries. Uh, obviously really enjoyed my squash and yeah. the, the after hours as well, I would have to say. But uh, <laughs> I think it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was an eye opener. And then um, uh, middle of, no, of, of uh, about four or five months in, uh, 97 actually I I actually quit and went back to Australia and um, found myself uh, I was still living at the AIS house in Brisbane as a uh, as a supervisor uh, but didn't play squash uh, put the rackets in the closet got a full-time job rode my rode my bike to and from work and just went back to the house and didn't really do that much for Bit of time to think to, about it, maybe. Bit of time, bit of time to think about it, and sort of realise that uh, okay, if this, you know, I need to, I need to make a move, and then uh, uh, it was the end of '97, uh, uh, September, October '97. I actually left Australia and and moved across to Belgium. Uh, got a, a coaching job, a full time coaching job as a touring pro over at, uh, in Belgium, um, and then. Uh, that's where it really sort of kicked off. Uh, started to make a little bit of money coaching. Uh, realized how easy it was to travel to and from the European countries. To uh, started to play leagues. Uh, started to play the smaller tournaments. Uh, and then uh, I actually won um, uh, the Antwerp SO Open, uh, okay. which was, I guess, one of the big boosts yeah, from I me. I, I, I came through qualifying. Um, I almost didn't make that qualifying. I was in a car with Joe Knipe and uh, that was in that was in '98, I think it was. Okay. Um, uh, that you we were there, Joe Knipe. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we ended up having to park the car on the footpath, run into the squash facility, and we were one minute before they did the roll call of the qualifying. Okay. And then I went through qualifying, um, and then won that tournament, and then my ranking skyrocketed and then and then that was it and then uh went from belgium then i moved to holland for uh two years and based myself there and you know i had anthony hill there to practice with there was billy hadrill even even dating myself back even more and uh, <laughs> paul price would come over but yeah just and date and obviously dave palmer was there he then moved over to um to belgium to be uh you know coach full-time by sean moxham so we had great training partners, yeah. but also what was awesome back then, or still is now, was all the leagues where I played Dutch League, French Bundesliga League. in Germany, French League, uh, and then I used to fly across to England. And then I was there for about two and a half years, and that's where we started a family and had my, my oldest, who's uh, first year in college now, Tyler. Uh, okay. He was born in Holland, and then yeah. we ended up moving to, I ended up moving in 2000 to, uh, to Nottingham. And then I was there for five years where it sort of everything uh, came together um, probably the st at the start of 2000 uh, where, it re where it really, really kicked off where I, I didn't get a squash coach, but I got a, a fitness trainer, yeah. um, Vaughan Williams, uh, who has since, since passed, but uh, he's, the, he's the man, one of them who spent hours every week in the days of... Uh, we actually restructured my uh, my whole training method um, uh, for four years, and literally from the two thousand to two thousand and four was uh, was one of the I guess one of the best four years. I completely we changed uh, my training method of treating it like a tournament. Every day was like a tournament. You know, I'd go and see him, and we'd do 
all sorts of uh, strength work, speed work. Um, I mean, your, uh, your, cover, your court coverage was uh, incredible. I mean, you, could, you, you were picking up all sorts of balls, and I think, uh, I don't know if this is what happened, but, uh, I mean, if you, had, you worked on your fitness and your ability to cover the court, then that would have uh, enabled you to, to play a match the way you like to play it. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, that, those four years where, you know, we changed the method of, you know, he, I went and had a meeting with Vaughan Williams at the Nottingham University and he said, this is what I do for practice and, or training. And, and we, we started doing a lot of plyometric work, short, sharp bursts of speed. And, and then we would go out to the track. Um, we would do uh, hills and that, that got me strong on the court. But then the plyometric work of always being on the toes and the, the small muscle fibers, just the, the quickness off the mark and being able to last that long in the matches, which it completely improved my movement, which, and then obviously worked a lot of my fitness and my fitness got, you know, so much, uh, obviously the, the fitness levels were so much higher than they used to be. And then uh, when I went to a tournament in those, those, uh, those years, it, I really didn't mind if the, if the, you know, if, if the, if the matches went an hour, yeah, you didn't then, mind playing four or five game matches in a row. No, no, that's so uh, we did. Uh, we <laughs> read complete. Yeah, that, well, that's that's that's, that's meant. And then, but sort of, I think with all that training method and how we changed it, my mental, my mental side was, you know, it it was. I actually enjoyed going away to a tournament because I didn't really <laughs> enjoy that training with Vaughn because I knew every every day we did it for at least an hour and forty five to two hours and twenty minutes. We used to do. Uh, a session every single day like it was a, a tournament so each day that I would go back to see Vaughan you know we would do our specific warm-up we would do this we would do that and then um, you know it was you know we would do squash specific all the time and I, I realized we do that for five days and then I'd have a day off and then the seventh day was a taper day and then uh, back on the ground every single day and every single session that I went to was when I was driving the car home, it was, it was hard to, I had to have a, I had to sit in the car for about 20 minutes after every session just to calm the body down a little bit. So, but that, that's what got me through to, you know, the tournaments, the finals, the winning some of the major tournaments and, and the ranking spoke for itself after that. Yeah. And it, it certainly did in 2004 in March, uh, you reached, uh, the pinnacle, uh, world number one, uh, Tell us about that 2003-2004 campaign that uh, 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 that brought you to uh, world number one. Yeah, it was uh, you know it's, it's one of those sort of I guess clicks in the career where you know the wind started to come on, the confidence level was there regardless of who I played, uh, winning um, uh, the English Open, and there was the Qatar PSA Masters. There you was beat Hill in the final, right? At the uh, the British uh, the British Nationals. B British Nationals, I beat Beach, and then Qatar, the PSA Masters, uh, Thierry in five, uh, the English Open beating uh, Ricketts and, and Jonathan. Um, just the win started to uh, the victories against certain players and uh, the confidence level going into every single tournament, and then uh, you know realizing that you know okay, you know, top ten was there, top six was there top four was there, you know, when, when is this number one spot coming? But then those wins um, and just being a lot more consistent in those tournaments, whether that was a, a 50,000 or a hundred thousand or whatever it may be. Um, it's, it was a consistency that I got under control for the two year span. And then, uh, you know, leading into um, the tournament of champions, uh, the start of 2004 was, I knew I was very, very close, and um, you know, I would, I'd figured it out um, uh, that if I just got to the final, that uh, I would have enough points to uh, um, reach the the world number one. So that tournament sort of, and I didn't really sort of worry about it that much either. Um, yeah. I just went, let the game game go, and I was unlucky to. I remember that event. Uh, who did you play in the semi? Um, was, was uh, James Wilshop. James Wilshop. No, James. Yeah, James. and then I lost to uh, Pete Nickel in in uh, uh, Pete Nickel in three. Right. So, uh, but uh, that was it. Was it was a it was a close three setter. But 
you know, getting introduced back on the court as a runner-up, but the 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 next the new world number one is something that <laughs> I'll never, yeah. I'll never, never forget. Yeah, I mean, at that so, time as well. I mean, you had, uh, like you said, Peter was there, Jonathan, David, Amir, yeah, Dave, Shabana, I mean, everybody. Yeah, so I mean, it, it that, was a tough, uh, a lot of great players, uh, and for you to you know get to number one when they were all in their prime and you were in your prime and that's saying yeah. a lot about your your game yeah yeah everyone you know everyone was switching around you know uh, out of that era it was it was it was you good know squash, you you had to it was it was unbelievable squash I'm not saying it's not good squash now it's it, every year has yeah. got this uh great squash and young kids coming through and but uh i think our era was you know that was you you had to be on on the you had to be ship shape all the time and 100% on your game and not worrying about who to play the next day or what your draw was like and, and everything else. But, uh, you know, we were all switching around with uh, Terry at one, David at one, Shabana at one, Peter at one, myself at one, you know, uh, Lee Beachel, James just around the corner. And then you had all the young guys, uh, you know, like Gaultier and Oh yeah, all the guys guys coming through. So it was it was never ending, <laughs> yeah. which which was which was good because it kept you competitive. It kept wasn't your toes. Yeah. yeah. Now yeah. you had uh, you had many great matches uh, over the years against the, those guys that you just mentioned. Uh, who was your favorite? Uh, I mean, who did you look forward to playing to the most? And, and perhaps, if you don't mind, uh, who was a bit of a, uh, a bogey player for you over the years? Uh, well, bogey player, I'd have to say Palmer. You know him, him, him taking the ball open off me in uh, 2002 in Antwerp. Yeah, you know I had ma I had match ball, but uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I've, I've I've grown up with him for so long. Um, you know we travelled together, but yeah, he was he was always a struggle. I couldn't really, uh, you know, I think I was just too nice to him really to tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he was he was he was so strong mentally and physically that yeah, yeah he was he was known as the marine he, on tour. Right? He was known as the marine, and, and he was he was set in his ways, and you know he was uh, yeah he's uh, his career speaks for himself. You know he's yeah. just won gold at the Commonwealth Games, so still you know still still, still going, going yeah. yeah no so uh, but a uh, few of the players like you know I love playing Pete Nickel, loved and hated it, but. Uh, yeah. You know, I love playing because it, it was one of the cleanest matches that we would ever play. Didn't matter if it was first round, quarter, semis, final. It was always a very, very clean match. Yeah. Um, as it was with everyone he played. Um, you know, it was true gentleman on court and off court. Um, and another one I loved, loved playing with was Power. You know, he, he pissed me off a lot, but uh, <laughs> I, I loved playing him just to try and get get into his head mentally. You know, he's he's such a great shot maker and. Yeah, he was. He's also <laughs> quite a funny guy with his antics. You know, he's he's Absolutely. squashing his yeah. career speech for himself. But yeah. you know, it was it was uh, entertaining. You, know, you, uh, you, you just did oh. not know. You 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 knew what you were going to get when you played uh, Pete Nichol, Shabana, uh, Palmer, Ricketts, um, but when Power stepped on court, you had absolutely no idea what was coming at you. <laughs> you know, you yeah. you didn't you didn't know you know if he was you know, going to argue every point. You didn't know if he was going to completely carve you up three love. You didn't you just didn't know which was which was I guess the joy of it because you just you couldn't really you could you can only prepare for what may happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, but I, like, I always thought that you had uh, you had you had the game to to really sort of uh, temper Jonathan in terms uh, the, the few matches I saw you play. I saw quite a few of them, but uh, you seem to do, you know, you won some and you lost some, but it, it was never like he uh, ever blew you off the court, or at least I didn't see. Uh, no, he never really blew me off the court. And it was one of those guys where I think he just hated playing my pace and the angles that, uh, um, you know, he, he hated the ball getting put up, you know, he, he hated winners. So Yeah, yeah. He hated winners getting put against him. So, you know, and I love to do that. And it was, just, you know, you know, but at the same time, it was, uh, it was something that, um, you know, he could do the same thing and he could, he's hold and, yeah. you know, the, the shots that he could play from any single position is, 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 it was awesome. So, uh, you know, he was, he was, uh, you know, I know he didn't like playing me either, but it was, that was, I guess, the, the joys of it as well of me going to court where, you know, if I could get into his head, then 
game yeah, on exactly. yeah because <laughs> he's trying to get into yours <laughs> no, precisely yeah yeah now just, just to, uh, i know you've been really generous with your time i just have a couple more questions i got i got a facebook uh question someone on facebook wanted me to ask it um yeah there it is uh, okay ben 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 wanted to know um if you hit harder than cameron pilly of course <laughs> it's a stupid question. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what. No, no. <laughs> yes, he, he, he did take my record away on the, on the forehand. Yeah. yeah. But not on the backhand. He was useless on the backhand. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I hold the record, just to get this straight, I hold the record on the backhand. He holds a record on the forehand. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, in my mind, he—he, he, uh, I mean, he hits the ball hard, but you—you you always. Oh, he it. gives it a crank. Yeah, oh, he crushes it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And uh, just wondering, you know, now that now that you've been in Philly for a while, you've got the Eagles, you've got the Sixers, the Flyers, the 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 uh, the, the Phillies. Uh, do you um, have you uh, grown to like any of these sports, or do you still follow cricket and rugby? No, I still follow uh, cricket, rugby, and and uh, and rugby league back home. But uh, you know, you you do you know, I I did get involved a little bit with the Eagles of watching them on TV. But I've been to yeah, maybe two of the year, two of the yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Super Bowl champions for the first time. So the city went crazy. Yeah. So well, they still are. Um, yeah, I get into it. I, I don't go to many, many, uh, many other games, but. Uh, yeah, I sort of always, I've always stuck to the sports that I've obviously grown up with, and you know, every time I go to, uh, you, know, I've, you know, I don't go to many of them, but I, I will watch them on on TV and when it's really important games and everything else. But uh, yeah, I've, I've never really been that uh, uh, involved with a lot of a lot of a lot of the staff here. They'll get dressed up or they'll go to you know the home games and everything else, and right. you know this and that. But uh, no, I've, I've never. No, I do. I do. 76ers are in the in the playoffs. Oh, in the playoffs, they're unbelievable. Yeah, so I, I I do follow the teams, but I'm not I'm not a fanatic like uh, you know I would be if if we had rugby league here or rugby union or uh, or cricket. That is for sure. Right. So, do do you, uh, do you have any of your players uh, following the the rugby? Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> they yeah. they don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's the same with me. I I, I really I, I wouldn't know how to just uh, cr cricket. Still, I, I I don't get I don't get cricket at all. <laughs> no, nobody does. No. I just let them know it's the same as baseball. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and just finally, uh, uh, Johnny, um, you you've got to, you, you said you're four kids now, and one of them's in university. Uh, how how's family life going for you? And are, are there any uh, future uh, squash players in the White family coming forward? Uh, no squash players, not that's that's for sure. No. So I <laughs> I did try at a younger age. Uh, the twins. I've got uh, so my oldest Tyler. He's uh, first year at Drexel. Um, okay. My daughter. She's going to be coming to Drexel in this fall. So I'll have two kids in university uh, this year. Wow. And then I've got the uh, twin boys at the age of uh, 13 who are heavy into track and field and cross country. So okay. they're, they're, they're big runners. So they, they used to come down to Drexel every now and again, and they, they did hit a good ball, but they've never really been interested in. I've never pushed them. You know, we've always supported them. They've, you know, Tyler used to play uh, baseball a little bit, and then he got into cross country and track as well. And then um, the boys were into lacrosse, soccer, yeah. And running, and uh, same as same as my daughter. So we've sort of followed them around of what they would like to do, and the boys have really, really got onto uh, into track. So they 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 do uh, they have practice uh, every day. Plus, at the moment, they they have a couple of meets, track meets uh, during the week. So uh, which is good. It's good. It's, it's outside. They uh, yeah get to. It doesn't use up all their energy because when they get home, they still got tons of energy, but uh, which is good. Yeah, I was the same uh, way. Uh, I have two two girls, and uh, I introduced squash to them both, and they used to come and watch uh, my league matches and things like that. But uh, it never uh, amounted to any uh, anything after that. They were into other sports and other activities, uh, but they still like uh, they like their squash every now and yeah, then. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, John, uh, thanks so much for, for your time. That was a great chat. And I uh, just want to wish, uh, wish you and, uh, and the Dragons uh, all the success in the 2018-2019 uh, season. And uh, maybe we can have you back in mid-season uh, uh, just to, to talk squash again. I'd love to. And thanks very much for getting us on to, uh, today. It's awesome. Thanks. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was amazing. Thank you so much, John, for coming on to the podcast. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening uh, over the past uh, few months. We've got uh, now 23 episodes and uh, quite a few more lined up. So uh, I'm really excited about what we have coming up uh, going forward. Uh, So thank you, everyone, for listening and supporting the podcast. And uh, keep the comments uh, coming. Keep the likes coming on iTunes and uh, and the SoundCloud uh, page as well. Uh, now, just before we go, uh, I'm going to take you through the matches, uh, the quarterfinal stage matches uh, tonight. On the men's side, uh, we've got Tarek Momin and Ali uh, Farag. I see Ali getting through that one, although it should be close. Both guys will be uh, pumped to play uh, on home soil. Um, and then on the uh, in the other match, a very intriguing uh, quarterfinal between two guys who have had some great matches in the past, Miguel Rodriguez and uh, Gregor Galche. Uh, this one, I think, hinges on just how uh, fit uh, Gregory is after his adductor uh, injury um, because uh, Miguel's playing, I think, back to his uh, near to what he was playing at, at his peak. Uh, he seems to be back at a very high level. Uh, I see this one being very, very close uh, with Gregory might having a slight edge there. So uh, this should be a great match. Um, and then on the women's uh, quarterfinal side, we've got uh, Nora Altayeb, and she's up against Allison Waters, right? Uh, Nora should uh, handle Allison, uh, but she's on home soil, and that'll make it pretty tough for Allison to, uh, to compete against Nora uh, under those circumstances. And then uh, in the other quarterfinal, surprising uh, quarterfinalist uh, Annie Au, who got through Joelle King in a, in a five-game uh, thriller in the previous round, in the second round. Uh, she'll be playing Raneem El-Walili. Raneem should uh, move on into the semifinal there where she'll more than likely play uh, against Nora Al-Tayeb. So uh, those are my picks. And uh, everyone, uh, again, uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy your squash. And uh, stay tuned for the next uh, podcast, which should be coming up uh, in a few days' time. Thank you so much. Bye-bye now.